Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Stephanie Valoris. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by Vice Presidents and Principal Analysts Diego Lodudice and Mike Gualteri to discuss the pros and cons of touring bots. Welcome both. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Thank you. Good to be here. So let's just level set a little bit. Can you both define what touring bots are, where the name came from? I hear there's a little backstory to that. Yeah, I'll I'll, um, I'll start I'll start with that. I want to make a little bit of a quick history on how we got to that. And um, so in 2016, uh, we published our first piece around how AI will change software development and applications. In 2019, another piece around, again, how AI uh, would influence and change the way we test, the path for autonomous testing, augment testers first. These were the first two reports, germinal to in 2020, when Mike came around in, a, in, an, applica- in, in an internal application development and delivery team meeting with this idea around Turing bots. And I jumped on the idea, said, Mike, this is great. I think we this is, uh, this is, this is happening. And so we started writing predictions in 2020, uh, 2021, and in 2022, end of last year, uh, it became, Turing bots uh, basically became a uh, one of the top 10 technology trends. And uh, we wrote up our first uh, piece that was not just a blog or a, or a uh, prediction, uh, where basically we describe um, what Turing bots are and uh, titled, offer a peek into next generation development. So what the, what Turing bots are, basically it's AI, uh, AI applications, AI systems that can be, um, that will support and support de- developers and development teams during various stage of the software development lifecycle from analysis, design, development, testing, deployment, uh, and collaboration among the developers, um, Turing bots basically uh, in each one of those stages augment uh, what what we what what developers and developer teams can do. Yeah, and the name Turing bot, which which we came up with, was was basically a shout out to Alan Turing, uh, you know, the great computer scientist in the past. And you know, to be clear, Diego is in the application development team. He covers application development. I cover AI in our data and insights group. And there was something bubbling up in, in AI with deep learning that was very interesting. Um, and there was also this concept called AutoML uh, in data science, which automated some elements of the life cycle as well. So when we started to look, we said, well, could this apply to other disciplines within the development area? Um, and sure enough, uh, Diego had written about this prior for testing and we just kind of extended it to development. And we felt very confident that maybe all of the technologies weren't quite there, but the trajectory of the AI technologies were going to bring us to this point that we are today, which is Turing Barts are a reality. So when we talk about the advantages in the development lifecycle, how significant are the advantages? I don't know if you have any like potential examples at like different stages. So from the beginning. The first thing to remind everyone, the world spends trillions of dollars on software development per year, 
right? So when you're spending trillions of dollars on something, uh, tiny little <laughs> percentages of productivity, you know, translate uh, to huge dollars for, for organizations. So when we talk about Turing bots, that's kind of the scale we're talking about. We're talking about, can we improve a development, a developer's and a development's team productivity incrementally, uh, even by a few uh, percentage points, we would have, you know, huge um, uh, productivity gains in the teams. And it's not necessarily just productivity. We'll probably talk later about the quality and, and some other aspects that I think Diego in particular has some insights that he can bring to this fr first from testing and the productivity that AI application development testing brings and then and then extending into application development. Yeah, so I think um, you, you, it, it's it's very interesting how um, it, you're right, uh, Steph. That at each stage of the development lifecycle today, we've got different levels of productivity for two reasons. One, because of the technology maturity stages, right? AI is maturing in in many areas, more in some and less than in in others, or slower in others, and so we'll see a different impact. Now. You know, today everybody is very excited about uh, code generation. That you ask uh, ChatGPT, you give it a statement, and it will write the code for you. And we all get very excited because it does so very quickly, and and it can help your productivity. And in that stage of coding, maybe it will, you know, increase the productivity to 40, 50 percent. But that's only a step in the whole life cycle of software development, where more time is spent on understanding what we need to build designing it, testing it, writing the code, deployment. So the big the the, the big uh, productivity gains and the benefits are are going to come and are going to become much bigger as Turing bots mature also in these other stages. The as I said the coding one is very exciting right now. Everybody is is very excited about that. But in other areas as well like analysis in the analysis and design stage you've got things like um, Microsoft sketch to code right vision is very strong AI is very mature in vision so now you can draw a user interface literally on the board and you can have a team that is experimenting uh, with sketch to code it will generate the HTML code for you <laughs> very quickly from so think how that will change the way we work right you go to testing Mike mentioned testing yes. Testing, and it's not just in the automation or increasing the level of automation of tests, because today we spend a lot of time testing manually. So improving the automation is one big advantage. But where AI is really helping in the testing space is optimizing tests. Optimizing tests. What are the right tests that I should spend time on? Uh, which tests should I execute based on a change rather than executing all the battery of tests and you know spending a lot of time and money on on the execution of thousands of tests that maybe don't have an impact on the the change that you just made in the code doesn't have an impact on that um, self-healing we waste a lot of time when we get a bug we don't know if the bug is the code or was it because the test was broken because there was a change in the user interface so now ai is used to self-heal it's able to figure out that hey this is still a button it's the same button you had a minute ago. It moved a little bit. So it has a new URL. It's got a new locator. And because it read, it was, you know, it learned and it was trained on how user interfaces work, it's able to kind of guess that that's still a button, but it's just in a new position. So the, so the test won't fail. 
Yeah, I think um, uh, a simple way to think of this is um, like 70s and 80s and 60s, I suppose, as well, right? If you're a developer and you needed to know how to do something, you'd, you'd have manuals. You'd have, you know, you'd, you'd thumb through a manual or you'd look through some textbooks by Donald Knuth, perhaps. And then when the internet came, you'd search for code samples, right? You'd say, well, I'm trying to do this. And then you'd do a search and then you'd see this code sample. And now with Turing bots, <laughs> you say, uh, you don't search for code samples. You don't look in a book. You just say, write me some code that will connect to, um, you know, MongoDB and uh, put something on a Kafka queue type of thing, right? So, so that's kind of where we're at now. That's huge. I mean, it's a, it's a progression and it's a big difference. And Diego was providing insight into the next progression, which is here's a design. Here are user requirements. Build me an application under these architectural constraints. So super exciting. So we talked to, I mean, productivity increases. The biggest thing could actually be quality itself. One thing I'm curious about is it, does it have the ability to potentially improve the inherent security of code as well? Like actually designing more secure code from the, from the outset and more secure applications, more secure software. That is another area. One is the code quality improvement that uh, these bots can bring, right? Eliminating a lot of the false positive and false negatives that many of the tools uh, do. And you used to have a staff of people that were doing things in the back room to find out, uh, you know, what changed, what what uh, what new what new uh, uh, breaches were happening in the market. And now those that activity is taken over is is slowly moving into the using these uh, uh, using machine learning models. Uh, some of the security vendors are already starting to announce introduction and infusion of AI in that space too, in the security space. Um, I think though that uh, when you look at overall code writing at the end of the day, today the level of maturity from what I've seen in talking to developers and even some of the you know providers and vendors that are working in this space is still Turing bots are um, better off being used by expert developers, the ones that deliver, that uh, deploy code, that write code. They're very helpful and they make much more productive a senior and skilled developer at this point. And the code that is written has, a, you know, is judged by these these senior developers on how how good the code might be and if there are you know, better ways to write it. The, you can ask the Turing bot to, uh, some of these Turing bots like Copilot, you can ask it to provide a better version or an improved version of the same code and it will do that. I don't think that the, um, you know, it's it's completely there yet. Like you're not going to be able to totally trust, like you're not going to be able to say, oh, write me some secure code and totally trust that at, at this point. But, you know, it brings up another question too, because, you know, in the original paper that we, that Forrester published, we also said things about, well, because there's trade-offs too. Like, do we want latency? Do we want throughput? Do we want perform? So, so that brings it to a whole new level too, where you can start specifying what sort of the architectural requirements are as well. Do we want it to run in cloud? Do we want it on-prem? Do we want it to be a hybrid architecture? So when it starts designing it in a much larger way, um, there's many different constraints and trade-offs that that we think ultimately uh, it will be able to handle as well. Yeah, so I, th I think, you know, what I was just trying to dif differentiate is, is one thing when you look at the coding Turing bot that writes code for you, right? And what is the level of security, you know? And, and another thing is, 
the security tools, just as we were talking about testing being enhanced with AI, the current security tools are also being enhanced with AI to do a better job in the security space as well. And, and so therefore in the tester Turing bot space and in the coding Turing bot space, you're already seeing products that are doing both code generation, but also uh, helping you focus on some security aspects of the code and finding even finding bugs, supporting you finding bugs to help write better code. So you, we, you know, we have to look at this in, from from the two sides. One is how do the Turing bots help the tools that that we use to build software, to build applications, and also uh, on when you look at the code writing of these Turing bots, security at the level of the code that is produced and the maturity of that uh, of that code, which needs still supervision by expert developers in my in today. This might get a little bit into the weeds, but I'm curious about how you actually deploy the technology. Does it integrate into the developer experience? Like, is it how how seamless is it or how kludgy is it? Because, you know, you mentioned it's really best suited for more advanced developers. Well, we have a couple of examples and how this is going to play out is a different story, which I don't think we know uh, for sure yet. So if you look at using something like GitHub Copilot or uh, or Amazon Whisper or Tab9, these are integrated into the IDE. As a, you're in your IDE, you you're writing your code, and instead of, as Mike said, you know, there's a think of think of you're you're building a cloud native application on AWS S3, got hundreds of APIs that the developer doesn't remember. Instead of looking up documentation, it can ask the question inside the IDE about I want to write, you know, I want to I want to access um, and and create a piece of storage that I need to access on S3. And the code Turing, the 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 copilot will generate that code, will show first of all what that signature looks like, what parameters, and if you want, it will generate the code for you. So four, five, six, ten lines of code inside the IDE. Right. But if you think about chatbot, uh, chat GPT now, it's a it has a different uh, uh, you you use it in a different way, right? It's it's a chat chat. It's a it, it's like having a uh, a chatbot a chat exchange experience where you're writing and it's you, you and you tell it I want to you know I want to I want to build a user interface in Python that has three fields, uh, red color uh, background and enters login and and boom, it will generate the code. You're not in an ID now, right? You're outside of the ID in this case. Um, the tester Turing bots get integrated into the testing tools, right? So inside the, the, the traditional software testing tool that we've been using, now the vendors have included um, a test, you know, Turing bot capabilities inside the tool itself. I think the question on the future is, are we going to have, you know, really just a, you know, a Turing bot in each one of these space or some of the Turing bots are starting to cross, right? I mean, if you, uh, chat GPT does both uh, a couple of things, it generates code, but it also does unit testing just as Copilot does as well. So it generates code and you can also generate and test within the same environment. I think the difference though, is that the scope is still small. Yes, few lines of code. These current 
right? And and when we first wrote that um, paper in 2020, the vision there was that there would be some sort of standardized way to define business requirements, a standardized way to define architectural requirements, and then it because um, take a large bank which has a portfolio of hundreds of different applications that interact with each other and have data sources. Well, if you're really going to do some something new and interesting in the in a large scale, the Turing bot has to understand that environment too to make the best decisions. So where we are right now is that the Turing bots that Diego is talking about, they read a whole bunch of code that that exists that's out there, right? But a future Turing bot will have that, but it will also, you probably press a button, you say, <laughs> look at my environment, um, look at the code in my environment so that it can even have solutions that are more finely tuned and make sense and are optimized uh, for that bank, that insurance company, that large global organization. What's the sentiment around this from the developer perspective? Is there, you know, fervor here or is there a sort of fear of the unknown, a combination of both? So what's the sentiment? Uh, well, um, I think so there is always just as there is for AI, you know, there's a little bit of fear. Some folks might think, oh, AI is going to do uh, is going to uh, and, and is going to take my job away. Right. If AI builds the code, what am I going to do? Uh, all, all the code. But, um, um, you know, we're far from that. And, and, and when we don't see that happening yet, um, there are some initial uh, studies done by uh, universities sponsored by vendors as well. Um, GitHub did one when they launched uh, Copilot, a very interesting survey. And also the feedback I got from some very senior developers that I reached out to directly. And there's actually a very positive sentiment because as Mike mentioned, um, when you build code, there is a lot of um, there, there is a lot of work that you need to do that is besides writing the business logic. It's setting up the environment. It's configuring things. Uh, it's uh, it, there's a lot of creation of let's say artifacts that have that are, that you have to build and uh, using the that you have to code writing the tool that you have to remember. So developers, the developers that I that have used at least the coding Turing bot, right? I'm talking specifically about the coding Turing bot, which has maybe the most direct impact on developers, is that it actually is freeing up their time. It's speeding, it's taking over all that low hanging, but intellectually um, heavy work that they need to do to remember things and write things up. The Turing bot is, and generating that code for them, Right, even in the DevOps space, um, there are there's you know Turing bots for for delivery that will basically do all that work for the developer, leaving the developer the time to focus on on on, on the real stuff on uh, and making it much more productive. So the sentiment and the and the and the data that they got, the satisfaction and well-being, is that they are less frustrated when coding. Um, they feel more fulfilled with job. With, with the job of, of writing code, they focus on more satisfying work, right? So, um, and the percentages were quite high. They were above 50, 60% of those that used 
uh, that were sampled in the in the study. I think Diego is right in you know citing those studies. Um, so yes, they'll be more satisfied, but it'll be the fifty that are left out of the team of a hundred. <laughs> so, but I don't think it's going to be a cataclysmic job loss. It's gonna it's going to be so gradual that you know it's going to be like the the typewriter to the computer. It's going to be so gradual that it will have more to do with the market dynamics of skill sets than it will, you know, like. Oh, we're gonna now. We don't need you know half of our people, but that's the magnitude of this. I'm curious what the business sentiment is. I mean, I imagine the business is obviously very interested in improving productivity, reducing costs, and most importantly, getting new software and applications to market as quickly as possible. And the 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 release cycles and the creativity in the, in the engagement models. But I'm also curious, and I think I can't remember if it was Mike or Diego actually used the word trust. How much does the business actually trust the output right now? Um, because it's so early. Well, they probably do more than they, yeah, they probably trust it more, like from a business person's perspective that maybe doesn't understand everything about it, but like the idea of developing software faster and, and um, getting more done with, with the same teams that they have, they probably are too trusting of it, of the capability of it, because they're, you know, this is not fully baked, fully developed. This is still very early. Um, so I think as Diego pointed out, you know, you definitely need at this point, professional experienced developers, uh, it, at least on the team using these. So, you know, the, the business can't get too over exuberant on, you know, okay, how can we use this right now? And and now we want to double the output of our of our development teams. Um, but I think I think the business people are would be are positive uh, uh, towards this technology. But it might put a little pressure on the development team uh, that's unwarranted. Like, okay, now you should be able to do a lot more. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, and you know, immediately, right? Because teams have to understand how to fully incorporate this, um, identify what risks may exist and, and that sort of thing. I'm curious, do we have any early examples of software applications or portions of software applications that have actually been either co-developed or tested and actually are in production in the real world? So in the testing space, yes, because this is, as I said, I mean, the first time I wrote the report was 2019. When I wrote that report, where I got the examples was so it first was uh, leveraged and experimented uh, on projects with clients um, by system integrators, right? Now, now the reason why system integrators play a big, played a big role to service companies is because testing is, was and you know, used, used to be and still is a huge test service market. So the uh, service providers were already leveraging in 2019. That's where I got a lot of the use cases. The tool vendors were slower in incorporating, actually. So um, at that time, there were all there were there were projects going on with clients. And in the last three years now, the technology has moved into the tools. Right? I mean, system integrators always find the white space where the tools are lacking, but now the tools are starting to incorporate them. So. Um, self-healing, improving the automation, uh, tools like Apply Tools is used by many enterprises to test very quickly changes in the browsers. Think about somebody that has 3,000 pages, they make a change on, on let's say, just the, even just their brand name, right? The logo. 
how do you test 3,000 pages to find that the logo is rendering correctly? I mean, manually it would take a lot of time. Now it's done in seconds through Apply Tools, which uses AIs using vision system, deep learning algorithms, right? So in the testing space, more mature. In the Turing bot coder, let's say, I think we're a bit more behind, but there are still some very good numbers out there. Tab nine, which is one of the uh, one of the leading um, uh, software houses that uh, basically is a Turing coding Turing bot, about a year and a half ago claimed they had about more than one point five percent of the code was in the world was written and generated through Tab nine. Now, if you multiply that, you know. That was like two years ago. Um, you multiply that and you add to that the code that is generated in the testing space. That's how we got to the prediction that 10% of the code worldwide is written today already by Turing bots. And, and, that, will, um, and that will increase going forward. If you actually look at too, you can, it, I don't think it's hard to project the, you know, what this could be because if you actually sit down with the developer and you see what they're doing, a lot, of it, a lot of it is what I call plumbing or wiring, right? And, and Diego alluded to this as well, right? It's like, you're not like being super creative. You know, you, you have to be super creative in, in one aspect, but you're given these requirements. It's, it's like, well, there's an API over here that has to pass data here that has to pass. So there's a lot of wiring and plumbing that goes into it. And I can't see any reason why Turing bots couldn't handle most of that part of it. And we think 80% of a developer's time is wiring and plumbing. So, I mean, even if it, even if it's 40, 50%, I mean, it's huge. It will be huge. So but how do, how do companies today get started? You know, cause you know, right now we said that there's no, um, end to end Turing bot solution for the entire development lifecycle. You know, we've got Turing bots at specific phases and for specific pieces that are very effective. So if an organization wants to get started, um, where, do, where do they start? Are they, are they focusing on a specific use case of applications or are they targeting a specific phase of the, of the development lifecycle? So I think the first thing is make sure, I think the organizations need to make sure they understand where this is uh, in terms of maturity, in terms of risk. There's implementation that they can do with some of the Turing bots. I think the testing, the testing Turing bots, that's a, there's a various use cases that can be leveraged already today. In the coding Turing bot, it's more experimentation because these are really new, more newer than the tester because Copilot came, was basically in, in, in a developer trial for about a year. And now they just released a business version a month ago. Amazon announced end of last year. So we're going to start to see more interest around, you know, your question around business is, is, is all spot on because now business are going to say, oh, but we can start using these things maybe, right? And what we think as Forrester that, well, think about how long it's going to take for organizations first to get over the concerns about, well, can we trust this? Uh, is this uh, developers and, 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 and um, uh, users, uh, is, is this going to, you know, uh, jeopardize my job? Uh, and find the right practices and governance to start adopting them. That's going to take time, right? It's not going to happen in six months, a year. And at the same time, the technology is maturing, right? And has to mature more. One of the thought, and you appreciate all the cautions around the governance, the policy, the risk management. 
I also wondered to some extent that if you don't start experimenting with it, at least with some sort of center of excellence or centralized team, uh, do you leave it to chance that some product team with their own developers gets excited and decides to like go ahead and and beat you to it? Shadow IT 2.0 or 3.0? I guess that's a good point, right? That's what you urge organizations to come up uh, Quick, fast enough to with with, with governance rules, with policies, and uh, with uh, with uh, an experimentation program at least in some areas. So, is there a change in skills needed in the roles? Right. So, this is next generation development, and the answer is well, there are some things that it, that are that are quite clear uh, changing. One is. If you um, think about Chat Chat GPT, many people will try Chat GPT and will prompt it to fail because they want to prove out oh, this thing is not smart enough. I asked it that question and it got it wrong, right? But if you actually prompt GPT in the right way, you can get really some good things out of it. And this is in general valid as well. But even but in our area, you know, in the development and design in the development space is true too. So one new skill or role will be the design and the requirements phase of what we're used to do is going to change. It's going to be more prompting, right? It's some form of prompt engineering that a designer that in the design stage, we will have to do. If you don't ask chat GPT the right question, you won't get the right answers out, right? So it's it, these, these Turing bots as all AI is, it's garbage in, garbage out. And so therefore we're going to have to become we're going to have to think about in enterprises uh, skills around uh, asking the right questions and thinking about what you can really uh, ask the Turing bot to be more effective and how we prompt the Turing bots, right? That's kind of a, in the analysis design phase, is going to change, is a, is a new, is kind of a new way of working in building the software where prompting becomes, effective prompting becomes very relevant as a skill. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Jack. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or drop us a note at podcast at Thanks for listening.